are listening to the Subtle Forces Podcast. Hello, uh, my name is Paul. It's good to be with everyone. Uh, I'm going to read from a project called America Pastime. Day 45, Fustian and Fantasy, numbers 1, 2, 3. Dear D, the din and flutter of a loosed whatchamacallit rapper, one ingredient in the cocktail of individual exceptionalism. We share thoughts for blistering nervous systems, lips apart, resound common flotsam and jetsam, mine and mine alone. February 28th. In my attic, I write in front of a floor-to-ceiling length window that overlooks what we call Mount Garbage. The garbage of my neighbors piles high in the alley. I've never seen so much trash consistently produced by one house before. Not only do they manage to overflow all three of their trash bins, From my view in the attic, I can count at least ten black plastic bags that have been scattered beside the overstuffed trash bins. In a journal entry from 2002, I wrote, The life of the alley resides in residue. The allure of the alleyway is its lack. Lack of activity, lack of centrality, lack of propriety. The alley's role is channeling unseemly elements off the proper, well-labeled streets. It is a healthy, nameless function. I live on an escape route. The city doesn't collect furniture, yet our alley is furnished with a plentitude of televisions, mattresses, and sofas that have been obscured by the piles of shoveled snow. The snow piles in our alley throughout December and February because it doesn't get plowed and the garbage trucks can't get in to pick up the trash. Your alley tales are hilariously, sadly familiar. I live in a cottage house overlooking an alley in River West. My neighbors are using white drawstring bags rather than the black bags that you reference. I also don't think people know how to recycle. Recycling bin lids peek open, revealing giant hunks of styrofoam and plastic bags within. It is total garbage anarchy out there. We've stopped trying to recycle after we rolled our bin out on recycling day and came back outside to find someone had dumped food, cigarette butts, and all sorts of nasty in our recycling bin. I took the time to pick a half-eaten hamburger, plastic wrappers, and foam egg cartons out of our recycling, but when I got down to the individual Lipton noodles... I gave up. I understand and empathize with the us-them equation of litter. My trashing routine, along with long-term curiosity regarding the public of public place, perceives litter as a situational we. The items that blow through our shared landscape are a collective inheritance and bequeathment. The distinction between litter and landfill 
warrants consideration. That's when we decided to start disposing all of our recycling at my husband's workplace. Shortly after that, someone stole our garbage can. Now, our garbage and recycling goes to work with Blaine. In March, the snow melts and the garbage bags of Mount Garbage become destabilized. People drive over the trash bags, bursting them open. Litter, now abundant, soaks in the pools of dirty snow water. I hear a popping noise and look out my window and see a van that just drove over a gallon milk bottle. By late March, I have no choice but to participate. It is my yard and every yard that is scattered with cigarette cartons and snack wrappers. I go outside to pick up as much of it as I can see. I make my way to the alley and pick up as much as I can there, too. My husband has bought us a broom to sweep at the relentless garbage. I don't know how the wind manages to blow a piece of cake or a cotton mitten, but there they are, scattered on the pavement. I pick it all up and head back to the house, and now I see a fresh soda straw in the yard. Every block has litter, but I often don't see the litter, each bottle cap of it. Each bottle cap represents a drink, an afternoon, a moment of seeking consolation. I'm quite surprised by how much changes over the course of a week or even a day. Where did the empty 40-ounce high-life bottle sitting in the curb go? In its place are a couple partially crushed white claw cans and a plastic muffin tray. The litter rotates, ebbs and flows, keeps it fresh in a manner of speaking, never ends. Imagine an exhaustive inventory of discrete pieces of litter on a given street, including alleys, at a particular moment. It's a spectacularly banal portrait. This is us. At what point of disintegration does a gum wrapper move off the litter inventory and back onto some other list of materials? I picked up the student identification card of a neighbor. It said he was studying graphic design in the 2017-2018 school year. I wonder, did he like his classes? Is he still interested in graphic design? Did he throw his card into the alley just because that era of his life is done? Or did a squirrel rip his garbage bag open? Litter picking is for snoops gossips and sleuths like myself. Items orphaned to the street are rich with associations tucked into the folds of abject nuisance and casual reminders that humans are powerful, irrational animals. The polyethylene terephthalate pets we use to bottle up rivers are neither beginning nor end in the big picture. Litter has the potential to enrich a quick walk around the block when seen from a certain vantage. I'm not saying it's the ideal point of view, but worthy of acknowledgement and being part of the discussion. What is not to love, hate, 
about someone else's Cheetos bag with a white owl cigarillo wrapper tucked inside. Did you see what I wrote about a Funyun bag? A few weeks into the pandemic, I noticed this guy, Paul Druka, was taking pictures of garbage and posting them to Instagram. Just as my friends were panicking because they couldn't find hand sanitizer or wipes in any of the shops, Paul was going straight to the source of filth and handling it with reverence. He was picking up litter, arranging it into sculptural compositions, and taking pictures as if all of it was precious treasure. Paul was walking down streets and trails and grasping at things that had been dropped by strangers. He was writing romantic-sounding poems and letters about the garbage and sharing these writings with his photos. He seemed utterly enchanted by empty Cheeto bags. Day 49, Soapbox Minuet. Numbers one, two, three. Dear D, I trip over a gum wrapper entwined with shoelaces and fishing line, weighted provenance, tumble and hit my head, ruffling Cheetos bag against my face. We are one modern trash contrivance. Bottle caps, reseal, open. Yours, PD. He was also asking people to bid on the Instagram posts themselves. A winning bidder would be presented with a digital certificate of purchase, but no printed photograph. The guts, I thought. But he has kept the practice up, all pandemic long. Day 57, June 11th, 2020. Synthesis solo numbers 1, 2, 3. Dear P, staring down your street and stand corrected. 70 days of picking up others' trash affects only words unraveling. Dear D, a quart of oil, empty dinosaur, mother and daughter, tell me about persistence. I defend misguided passion, pick up sticks, face to face, eat our weight, leave in a hurry. In February, as I looked out my window upon the atrocity of Mount Garbage, I found myself so distressed, I didn't know what to do. I was in my art studio with the intention to create, but the sight of so much litter outside my window seemed like something I shouldn't try to ignore. What was I to do? pick up all my neighbor's litter for them? That would take all week. I wished there was, like, an emergency litter response hotline. (laughs) Then I thought, maybe I should try asking Paul how to spiritually process this mess. Like, isn't he the guru of the garbage? 
Well, you know, the guru of the garbage is David Sedaris. All you really need is to be a supremely gifted humorist and voila, trash becomes treasure. I think it's uh, Scandinavia, is it maybe Norway, this whole idea of plogging, picking up trash while jogging. And that seems really ridiculous to me in my neighborhood because you would never be able to take more than two consecutive jogs. These communities, they connect very easily on Instagram. Some of them have branded gloves and branded garbage bags. And the idea of producing more trash to kind of corral the trash that's in the world seems one step forward, two steps back. America Pastime is the project title and trashing is the activity. Just a brief synopsis. I pick up other people's litter, kind of arrange and photograph it. The resulting pics are posted to Instagram where anyone can bid on owning the digital file of the image along with a certificate of authenticity, also digital. Uh, note, there is no material uh, product as part of the transaction that's very in intentional and simply because the project is so deep into the ridiculous amount of stuff that humans put on the surface of this beautiful planet. Like, you know, like you don't take pictures of what's in the toilet after you go. <laughs> And garbage has a little bit of like the same, the same mindset, even though it's not as awful as bodily waste, it's, it's human waste in another sense. The project is a little absurd, a little preposterous, and that is my preference. It's a pretty rational response to the problem. And this other end of being too straight and too serious with it, I I think it would just crush me because, and again, it's because I don't think the problem gets solved easily. The first day that I went out trashing was March 26th, and it was absolutely a response to the pandemic news and how that had been changing our reality, I think had maybe been in play for a couple weeks or so, but it was just really, really sinking home for me at that time it was this notion of maintaining some kind of connection when we were now looking into this abyss of being very, very disconnected. So much of my work focuses on things that are easily overlooked and trying to instill like a certain value. Between 1997 and 1998, I did a project where I photographed plastic bags caught in trees over four seasons. Uh, it started very much as this kind of disgust and frustration with this phenomena and evolved over time to be like, you know, oftentimes they're quite beautiful and they, it, it's specific to plastic bags in trees. That's the wind is such an integral factor in that it's how they move around. And so I started giving all of the images specimen numbers and attached them to the wind forecast. And that project culminated with one of those images being self-financed and produced as a billboard. It's disgusting, it's frustrating, but it's, you know, like the scavenger animals that are always around, like I kind of love them, you can count on them. 
Like if the idea of seeing an interesting littered juxtaposition would make a person's day, like you could do that every day easily. And I think I desperately wanted it not to be a project. Then it was a couple of weeks in, then there's a little strategizing. Is there another layer of conceptual information or practical information or intention, I guess. And that's where this idea that I have no income and I have all of this material and it's like, yes, a little tongue in cheek, but also very earnest. All of the goodwill towards eliminating litter from the landscape as in my experience hasn't worked. Like you could even have something properly disposed and then the squirrels, you know, like that's their job to get in there and get what's good. But if there was actual value there, that could change the equation. You know, if that was actually became a resource for something like, you know, when aluminum cans became valuable and then all of a sudden you couldn't find aluminum can, then that now that's changed, I guess, the price of aluminum because you see aluminum cans all over the place now. I don't want to create photographs. I don't want to make any more stuff for the world as part of this, which really made perfect sense at the beginning of the pandemic. And I mean, I think it's, and it still does, but at that time, it's just like, we don't need anything else in the world. It just stays in the digital. There is a digital uh, certificate of authenticity that would, that goes with the image if it's auctioned. I've auctioned off a number of images successfully, and, and that has felt good. Nobody has ever bid against one another. And that's a, so that's a threshold I still, I would like to cross. I decided that the best way for me to overcome my frustration with the unending mountain of garbage in my alley would be to join Paul on one of his trashing excursions. I wanted to see the world through his eyes. Trash to treasure. He is so successful at finding beauty and potential in litter that a couple weeks ago, even the New York Times suggested people follow his Instagram account. Hello, how's it going? Not too bad, yourself? Good, nice. good. Nice to meet you. I meet him outside his coach house and notice several slightly muddy-looking plastic bags hooked onto the top of the handrail on his front steps. I ask him, Are these plastic bags on the banister? Are these bags that you found in the neighborhood that you trash with? One of the policies is to not purchase things in order to pick up trash. I like the idea of trash nested in other trash, uh, purchasing anything new in order to pick up litter uh, feels very counterintuitive. Uh, and bags are certainly in the top three of items found. So easy to come by and it makes sense to keep a stockpile for convenience. It had rained the day before we were to go trashing, so he was just drying these bags out. The first thing that happens is the garbage truck drives down the street. A recycling truck passes by us just as we begin our walk. 
It seems auspicious and supernatural, since the recycling is rarely collected compared to the weekly garbage pickup. We pass a whole alley's worth of crushed water bottles, scattered wrappers, the detritus of recycling day. I ask, how do you know when it is time to begin picking things up? When it's time. Yes. That was an early, really an early lesson. And I, you know, I feel like I don't have a good answer for that. Trashing starts when it starts. I will say early on, I learned the necessity of a hard start and a hard stop because the bleed is infinite. Uh, I believe you could make your way around the world while picking up just one more piece of garbage and just one more piece of garbage, just one more. We reach the end of Paul's block-long alley and turn to take the sidewalk. Just the curb right in front of my house is an infinite variety on a daily basis. <laughs> I do sometimes work the alley, but I like the anonymity of being outside my immediate neighbors. I don't usually go to the same place two days in a row. In a few blocks, we end up on the same beer line trail that Paul was on when he started his daily practice of trashing. Trash becomes this entrance into considering nature and natural forces, the weather for one. Like the fact that it rained yesterday and everything got soggy and it's like, you know, we've written about unexpected liquids are kind of the worst of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> like expected liquids are bad enough unexpected liquids <laughs> we look around and see several gleaming plastic morsels scattered in the nearby brush we do not pick them up because we have not decided to officially begin i would have never expected um how many two-pack cigarette wrappers are floating around in the world <laughs> It's, uh, you know, and then you just realize the, the, like, the marketing success of this impulse buy. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm imagining they're like a dollar fifty or something like that. I tend to not uh, trash old clothes, cigarette butts, uh, you know, biohazard condom wrappers, definitely skeevy. Uh, I do not touch... Uh, dog poop bags. I've been seeing this increase of people putting their dog poop in a bag and then throwing the bag on the side of the trail. Makes no sense. When it is clear the trashing is to begin, Paul puts on his rubber gloves. Now you bought those gloves. I did not. No? I, I, that is a, I was even going to make that qualification. On top of his rubber gloves, he adds a pair of black gardening gloves. The first thing Paul reaches for is a crushed plastic bottle. Now why did you decide on that bottle? I don't know. I don't. I think it's I think it's prominence. <laughs> I, 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 
And you're ready. You, 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 you felt like the glint of all of those things awakened you and you started salivating and that was like the nearest thing? I guess so. I guess there, there is a little bit of like, oh, could be that, could be that. Uh, one of the things I find fascinating that you get it tuned to is the states of decay and how things kind of move back into the soil. I used to focus equally on paper and plastic. Now I tend to emphasize plastic, though I'm still partial to interesting graphics on any surface or banal graphics for that matter. Uh, decaying books are treasure. Paul dangles a flaking, flattened paper cup for me to see before dropping it into his collection bag. Though it is paper, he has kept this one for the look of it. Soon it is determined that I am to be tasked with carrying the bag of strictly photogenic garbage. Um, because there are items that I want access to for the photo. Right, this would be in the special bag. That would be in the special bag. I see. I often need at least two bags, a couple bags in process for any trashing session so I can keep items, separate items that I may want to uh, specifically pull out for the photo shoot. Uh, that just gets really, really uh, complicated on a windy day. Wind is the nemesis. We veer off the path and Paul picks through brambles and climbs over tree stumps when he sees a bit of tinsel that he likes. So how many bags do you sling around yourself on a maximum day? <laughs> on a maximum? Uh, I would say three or four only sometimes like if I know I'm about done there could be like oh and you know and sometimes it's just like putting bags in bags uh-huh picking up a few things in my mind uh, I mean the amount of trash I've picked up over a year has a negligible impact on how one would observe the neighborhood uh, and best case scenario I'm taking this plastic bottle and moving it from here to some other unfortunate place on the surface of the planet. How many vodka bottles have been dumped next to the log just right here? They are all the same size and brand. Paul picks seven, but he doesn't bother digging up the others which are half buried in the earth. I become aware of patterns that I would otherwise have no idea about. As I mentioned, the weather patterns, you know, the wind, natural forces, but also routines and habits. That's like seven or eight little pints or quarter pints of vodka. You're discovering people's rituals. Yeah. Um, and... I don't know, they're, they're, that is meaningful to me. We leave the trail and approach the driveway of a university dormitory. Everywhere I look, I see litter hanging, scattered and nestled. 
because of COVID, they're not occupied, and so I think there's just not as much. But usually this is uh, just really rich. He sounds almost mournful that there aren't more items of garbage for me to scour with him. He picks a hamburger container out of a tree, admiring the packaging. It's like in a way, ethically, it might just be better to leave this decomposed out here. Than to throw it in the trash. Than to throw it in the trash. But then he places it in the photogenic glitter bag. If trash had a value, or even the potential for value, there would be less of it. Uh, that is an equation that America Pastime attempts to further, uh, rather than kind of perpetrating empty hope. It just seems like society should be like, we have to stop everything until we figure this out. You know, <laughs> nothing else can happen. Because this is kind of crazy. It's ridiculous. At the end of the dormitory driveway is a mound of litter because the snow plows pushed all the snow and everything hidden within it to this area. The snow has melted, but all else remains. I could do this for the rest of my life and certainly continue to glean insights, but I don't think like I'd ever get to the bottom of No. Paul pulls a pudding cup from where it has nestled in some branches. Is that a surprise liquid or intended liquid? Um, well, this was sitting in the tree, so yeah, that was it. That was kind of figured that was coming. Turns it over and dumps the expected liquid it has collected onto the ground before the cup goes into the regular non-photogenic trash bag. One thing that I really like about this project is, like, if I'm doing this, I just do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Our bags have quickly filled, and now it is time to arrange and photograph the garbage. It is a, a bit like composing a still life. There are aesthetic considerations, scale, uh, pattern, color, texture. Um, taking a moment to sit down and move these things around is really integral to the trashing experience. The physical gathering and handling of the trash that's where the writing begins. Paul directs us to a short concrete wall behind the dorms, where the wind will be less likely to blow apart a trash sculpture. He picks items out of the photogenic bag and arranges them atop the wall. It looks like a bunch of pirates had a, uh, a good evening. You got that hibiscus flower and daiquiri flavored things like that kind of color resonant yeah the texture really, really nice and I, I always i try to limit this but i like i always stop that is the hardest part of the hard stop for me is the image it's like oh but i didn't get that after the photo shoot paul collects all the pretty trash back into the bags ties them up and tosses it all into the metal waste basket along the trail. Then you throw it in the public garbage as part of the... You know, sometimes I actually throw in private. I... And that's the process. That's it. An empty Funyuns bag flattened to the winter sidewalk. 
its signature yellow and green covered with icy sludge, the color of soot and taste of unexpected pavement. The bag's careless discard speaks power and control, lived short term. The familiar logo ignores disillusionment and irony, playing its role as if nothing has changed since the onion-flavored cornmeal rings hit the scene in 1969. I did feel better after going trashing with Paul, seeing so much trash on our walk together and talking through everything. I was able to put this problem into the category of being a systemic, cultural, capitalist problem, rather than the fault of lazy individuals. And gosh, I feel so much better knowing the problem is a huge problem, rather than a uh, smaller, individual-level problem. Human brains are messed up. Hi, Anja. Can we use the episode as an opportunity to highlight the project's financial angle? (laughs) Is that too mercenary? I'm always looking for ways to reinforce the fact that the images posted to Instagram are available for purchase through online auction. Anyone can put a bit in the comments section, and I'm happy to say people have. Uh, it's integral to the project, and also, much like litter, it's easy to overlook or simply ignore. Uh, perhaps I could convince you to bid on an image as part of the episode. Or we could find another person to bid on an image with the added incentive that then they could be part of the Subtle Forces podcast, or maybe two people interested in the same image who attempt to outbid one another. (laughs) Or you bid on one of the images and in the course of recording the podcast, learn that someone has outbid you and now you have to decide if you're going to bid again. But again, Trash to Treasure has been part of the project's ambition since the very beginning. Uh, And a couple things make the premise more compelling now, uh, one year in. So, Anja, I think you should invest in America pastime precisely because it translates material excess into a very clean, immaterial transaction. It also aligns nicely all of the interests going on with NFTs right now. Uh, And while NFT market makes headlines for, you know, five and six figure sales, America Pastime is priced for everyone to enjoy. Bidding starts at $10. Uh, And finally, uh, investing in America Pastime is underwriting the idea that garbage needs to be acknowledged and held up. Eyes are the 21st century treasure. Is that, an, is that enough reasons to get you to bid on an image? Dear listeners, I did, in fact, decide to bid on one of Paul's Instagram posts, a picture of the very same litter we found together on our trashing walk. 
I'm proud to say that there was also a bidding war involved. The first in America pastime history. If you would like to see who bid against me, and if I won or not, you will have to see Paul's post from April 10th, 2021. I am linking his Instagram account to the show notes so that you can find it. Additionally, I am taking Paul up on the idea of creating a special auction where you can not only win one of Paul's digital certificates of authenticity, but also become the subject of an upcoming Subtle Forces podcast episode about you. For more information on that, you can follow both or either the Paul Druka or Anja Not Anja Instagram accounts for more info, also linked in our show notes. Thank you to Paul for helping to transform a whole bunch of my litter frustration into acceptance and awe. Thank you to the litter for making yourself so unignorable that I had to learn from you. Thank you to the worst neighbors on my block who happened to live just across the alley from me who were not only the creators of Mount Garbage but even long after Mount Garbage turned into broken glass and blew away with the wind, they continue to give us presents like a toilet plunger just behind our garage door. And by now, I just know that whatever is there is to be immediately thrown right back at their garage. So this morning I picked up a toilet plunger and just chucked it straight over to my neighbor's garage because uh, we had to get the car out. And thank you to Anton Seeger who provides the music for this show and also happens to be a damn good bike mechanic. Anton takes care of my bikes. I compliment him every every time, but uh, I am so thankful for the work that Anton does on my bikes. If you like this show, The Subtle Forces Podcast, maybe you could do us a favor by subscribing or rating. Thank you. January 27th. 3.45 p.m. Fate falls from above, tangles my feet, portends agony, baggage, discarded slapstick. I see you, chained to rock, regenerating organs, calling dear, touch the scar. We are the crash scene, a quiet street bathed in minutiae, blood, guts, and glory. December 19, Kern Park, dear, interlocking pieces lost 
in a field of vision, the sound of your laughter, twilight picnic, quick and dead. We chase a gently used napkin taken by gust toward the river. I am reminded of pale blue mischief, desperation, delight, tumbling down the hill. Did I say lost? I meant something else, maybe away.